Good writing can be defined as having something to say and saying it well. Edward Abbey. You're listening to Writing Roots, brought to you by Aspen House Publishing. Welcome to Writing Roots. I'm Lee Hull. And I'm Lee Esses. I'm really excited for this month. Not only is it National Novel Writing Month, but the topic that we're going to take on is hopefully going to help a lot of you identify and fix problems in your writing. We realized when we were chatting earlier in October that we spend a lot of time talking about if you have this issue, here's a great way to solve it. Some of the disconnect, especially from when I was a very new writer, came in, how do I know if I even have this issue? So what we're doing for the general format of every episode is we'll talk a little bit about how to identify it, some of the qualifiers, some of the things that we individually look out for in our own writing to tell us, hey, you're making this mistake. And then the second half of most episodes, we're going to go through, give examples and discuss, does this qualify as having this issue? What is a better way to phrase it, if so? Today, specifically, we want to talk about good writing. How to identify good writing. This is in part so you can identify and learn from other people's writing, as well as figure out what is working well with your own writing. Good writing is so subjective. There is no hard and fast rule for what makes good writing because each person, each reader, likes something different about writing. They like something different about storytelling. So what we're going to talk about is what we find that works well, but we encourage you to figure out your own criteria for this, not only this, but the other things that we're going to talk about this month to help you identify what good writing looks like for you and your target audience. We did find a list online from the johnfox.com. Their list is 100 beautiful sentences. And they listed out four different qualifiers that a sentence would have to meet in order to be on this list. Of course, we won't all agree with everything. All of our quotes for the second half of this episode came from this list. And you'll see how I feel about some of them later. (laughs) But I did like the qualifiers that they had. The first of the four qualifiers is phrasing. This has to do with the word choice that they're using, the rhythm, their fluency with the English language. The next qualifier that they had was wisdom. Does the writing provide some sort of insight, some sort of look at humanity, at feeling? Is there something that can be learned from what the author is writing? The next qualifier is ambition. Are they being innovative? Are they using language in a new way? And then what is the emotion? Is there sentiment to the writing? Does it make you as the reader feel something? We each also came up with a few of our own qualifiers that are different from each other and definitely from the person who formed this list. We say these mostly because this is how we are judging these sentences moving forward. And the first one for me is how quickly it can be read. Do I have to slow down and reread in order to understand the sentence? Or can I just go through it and move on to the next and just forget I'm reading entirely? The first one on my list is depth. I love good depth in the writing, good representations of the characters and the world and that presentation of it. 
The next one on my list is clarity. I want something to be concise so that my brain is following along with what the author is trying to tell me. I really need realistic in my writing. I need real character choices that make sense for their progression. I need real emotion. And the last one I judge a sentence by comes from thinking through what are the favorite sentences that I've ever read. And all of my favorite sentences have great setup. These quick moments that have chapters of setup that pay off really well. We won't see that as a qualifier for what we're talking about today, but that is definitely something that makes good writing for me. And my last on the list is a good mood. Not, it doesn't need to be happy. It doesn't need to be that kind of good mood, but the writing needs to convey the mood of the story and how it's going to progress. We have a few examples of what one person considered beautiful writing. And their qualifications were, of course, different from ours, and that's different from yours as a listener. So we're going to read the sentence, give you a second, and then we'll discuss our opinions on if this is beautiful writing or not. The captain's wife played the harp. She had very long arms, silver as eels on those nights, and armpits as dark and mysterious as sea urchins. And the sound of the harp was sweet and piercing, so sweet and piercing it was almost unbearable. And we were forced to let out long cries, not so much to accompany the music as to protect our hearing from it. Italo Calvino. I can't. (laughs) I, I recognize that some of the imagery, some of the lines being drawn here... I get it, and I guess that could technically qualify as good-ish writing, but I hate this whole sentence. I hate this whole paragraph. It is, oh, Yeah, part of the issue with this one for me is that I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about this character. Like, she has armpits like sea urchins, and she plays the harp so beautifully that we all try to scream to not hear it. As far as my particular definition, it is not fast. It takes a long time to say she was pretty but scary. It was not clear at all. And I cannot imagine any amount of setup that would make this sentence work. For my list, there's not a lot of depth here. It is hard to qualify this one on such a short scale because depth takes time. But I also really don't find this realistic because of that weird conflict of how we're supposed to feel and how she's being described. However, I will say it does have a mood to it. It does stay consistent with the mood. It's definitely got this haunted witchy kind of vibe. I think I'm associating it with Ursula a little bit. That might, again, be the sea urchin issue. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm I'm picturing very classic siren underwater ghostly sort of thing. So it does. It does qualify. I will say it has a mood. <laughs> the next sentence we're going to do comes from Roberto Bolano. And that is, the sky at sunset looked like a carnivorous flower. I personally really like this one. Me too. And not just because it's the shortest one on our list today. But that is part of it. It does have a nice quick speed to it. 
We know what a carnivorous flower looks like, and it's an ambitious connection to make to go Venus flytrap and sunset, but it works and it gives us a particular mood for it. As far as the setup qualifier, I feel like this is a good setup to reference later. And for me, I think the speed of this one really helps because in such a short time, one quick little phrase you were able to convey a lot about what that sunset is doing. I don't know what this is coming from, but I'm guessing that it is setting up for some sort of tragedy, some sort of danger that is on the horizon for the characters, because who else is going to draw the line to a carnivorous flower at sunset unless something bad is going to happen? So it does a really good job of setting up and creating for what's going to come next very quickly. So, 10 out of 10 for that one. The last quote we have today is one from Michael Chabon, if that's how his name is pronounced. I apologize if it's not. Undressing her was an act of recklessness, a kind of vandalism, like releasing a zoo full of animals or blowing up a dam. (laughs) You should see my expression right now. This is another one I also hate. Okay. I might be a little biased when it comes to how people describe bodies and women and how you handle people, not just women, but I don't see the correlation he's trying to make here. If somebody tries to undress me like they're blowing up a dam, there's a problem. Yeah, I think the first half of this starts out pretty well. It's physical, it's vivid, it's right in the moment. And then when we start dipping into the similes and metaphors, it gets real wonky real quick. I mean, I can even sort of understand the a kind of vandalism. But as soon as you say it's like releasing a zoo full of animals, I'm out. I'm done. Yeah. If I were editing this, I would stop it at vandalism because there's a dangerousness to the vandalism. It's a crime. So there's a kind of physical allure in that danger that can be applied to what's happening in that moment. But when you say zoo full of animals, I think of that kid's movie with the lion and the zebra with the strange wig and the dancing penguins and all of that. I just think of Jumanji. Yeah, (laughs) there you go. Like all of a sudden, anything that could be connected to the first half of the sentence goes right out the window. There are great things and things that we personally would like to change about most everything we've talked about today. There is good writing and bad writing with every author. I would love to see a book that was comprised of all like Brandon Sanderson bloopers or Stephen King or whoever your favorite author is. These moments before they started editing where they look at that and go, what was I thinking when I wrote that in my first draft? Because the skill comes not with writing these types of sentences on the first go-round, but rather writing something and then making it good later, making it the best it can be. And not even every sentence has to be perfect and good writing in your published work. But every sentence you have to write selfishly. If you have a question or comment for our hosts or a topic you'd like us to cover, send us an email at writingroots at aspenhousepublishing.com or find us on Facebook by searching for Aspen House Publishing. 